The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight. Expertise. Top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now, Hooker. Ready. So I'm still stoked that Tennessee picked up a huge commitment yesterday. As we talked about, that was a lot of fun as it did happen during the program. And it just keeps rolling because this is Tennessee's media day, not SEC media day. So you will have Josh Heupel, you will have the coordinators, and you will have several players visiting with the media. We will have that covered and on our YouTube channel throughout the day so a lot going on Caleb Calhoun wow this is when it gets started and they'll be on the practice field this week tomorrow as a matter of fact this is report day and players on the practice field so off and rolling and uh, Caleb Calhoun a lot of expectations for this program a lot of excitement around this program we've got a lot to get to including the top five position battles for the Vols in fall camp. Slow and on three agree that there is a potential upset on Tennessee's schedule, so no napping for the Vols. Also, conference realignment again. As At some point, should the SEC go get one of these Pac-12 teams? I have an interesting take on that. And the 10 greatest seasons by a Tennessee tight end and or Fullback, but let's go ahead and get rolling right now. Caleb Calhoun, how are you, sir? Pretty good. How are you doing, Dave? I'm well. Uh, ready to uh, talk to some balls and kind of get their take as far as the beginning of a preseason camp. Now, let me tell you how this typically breaks down, and I've seen it with new coaches before, and I believe that's what we're seeing now, is when you first get on campus, you don't know Joe from Nico, from Hendon, from anybody. So you, you tend to be very – and you don't know some of your assistants too. Some of your assistants might be new to you, not not particularly in Josh Heupel's case. But you're very closed in with the media. And then typically that opens up a little more. And then it opens up a little more. So you're starting to see some of that now because Tennessee will have quite a bit of availability – this week, and it will start with Josh Heupel at the podium. Then you'll have defensive coordinator Tim Banks, offensive coordinator, uh, quarterbacks coach Joey Halsley. And then uh, later in the afternoon, you will have Joe Milton III, which you would expect. Jabari Small, running back, you would expect. Defensive end Tyler Barron, you would expect. Linebacker Aaron Beasley, center Cooper Mays, defensive back Danico Slaughter. Expect all those. Great surprise. The second rotation, which will be a little bit later, will be Brew McCoy, maybe the best NFL prospect on the team. Squirrel White, poised for a fantastic second season. At Linebacker Keenan Pilly. By the way, I do read into a lot of these, how these guys have had offseason camps. So I mentioned Slaughter yesterday. Uh, we mentioned Pilly as an important player. Defensive back to Marion McDonald will be there as well. Defensive tackle Amari Thomas. Little surprise by McDonald, but good for him. He's had a good offseason. Thomas, no surprise, he was at SEC Media Days. But then you also have in that second group uh, a guy that we all know his name, and we all know how important he has been to rebuilding Tennessee's program. And his name, of course, is Nico Ia Male Ava. I can't recall ever, and I'm willing to bet money that Arch Manning doesn't talk to the media at Texas's media day. I can't recall a freshman quarterback coming in with a guy who is so seemingly locked into the starter position. As an upperclassman, I can't remember a freshman talking to the media. This, to me, is worth note. Not saying it's a red flag that Joe Milton hadn't gotten things done. 
but it's worth note. It's worth note for a couple of different potential reasons. Please hit the like button and subscribe button. If you haven't set your notifications, do that. So I'm going to give you some options, Caleb, of what this means. This means, A, they think they might need Nico in a real situation at some point this season. So get him used to the camera, get him used to the spotlight. B, this is somehow tied to his NIL money. Okay. Or C, which would be the most simple and preferred among all of Tennessee's fan base, be just this, and that is he has had such a great offseason. He deserves a little bit of pub, which might be simply the case. But, Caleb, I will say that I wonder if he is out there for more than just getting the pub. He doesn't need any pub. What do you read into him being available to the media on preseason media day when, by all indications, this is Joe Milton's team? What do you think of him being trotted out there? Because this is not a nothing. I will say that. It's a something. We just don't know what that something is. But he will visit with the media as a freshman with a senior starter in place. What do you make of that? I think there's a D. It's recruiting. It's recruiting. Josh Heupel is still on the trail trying to lure some wide receivers to Knoxville, lure some running backs, lure some offensive linemen particularly. And Joe Milton's not your recruiting tool. Nico is your recruiting tool. And so I think that you want to tout Nico out more than anything. Look, Tennessee is branding him the heir apparent. This isn't something I haven't seen before, even if someone hasn't been trotted out to the media. Let's be honest. We all knew that Tim Tebow was going to be the next star in college football when he was backing up Chris Leak in 2006. That like Urban Meyer was basically making it known Tim Tebow is the future of this program that we're building in Florida. You kind of see that with Nico. I, I think Josh Heupel's just making it clear. There's no secret who the quarterback's going to be the next year. I think this reads more into Jake Merklinger, the quarterback who committed to this, to the 2024 class in Joe Bilton, because I'm thinking, I don't know if I would commit to Tennessee if I'm a quarterback, because I think Heupel's making it very clear. I'm starting Nico in 2024, period, end of story. Could be. At some point, though, no matter what Joe Milton does, I believe Nico has more physical ability. So at some point, even if Joe Milton is a B plus to A minus player, does Nico make a push because he's an A plus player? Could that happen in year one? I wonder. I see him on this list and I was incredibly surprised. And I see him on the list of guys being interviewed. Everybody on the list has made big-time plays, except for Nico. And him being on this list is a statement. Exactly what kind of a statement, if it's recruiting or if it's, hey, this guy could play. Is it completely just obscene, crazy to think that Josh Heupel could come out I'm not saying a two-quarterback system like when Tom Landry rotated players every play, okay? I'm not going crazy. But there might be some things that Nico does better than Joe. I think they're similar type of athletes. We're not talking about a Peyton Manning, Brandon Stewart. One's a pocket guy, one's a, a runner. We're not talking about that, okay? But could there be some things that Nico does better where he gets his theories early on? in the season, in the first half, with the game still in question, and Joe Milton playing just fine. Would you rule that out? What would you think the odds of that would be? Very, very low. I don't think Hyper would do that. And I largely don't think – if Joe Milton is B to B plus and anything higher, just to keep the locker room, he's going to keep Joe Milton in as a starter this year. Even though there are things Nico does better. I mean, look, you and I both know already straight out the gate, Nico has a better deep ball. But he's got a better deep ball than even Hendon Hooker did. And so, I mean, he's got a more accurate. beautiful. Yeah, more, more accurate. accurate. Yes. Yes, he's got a more accurate deep ball, which is deep ball accuracy is the most important ability in Josh Heupel's system beyond anything else. And so from that regard, yeah, you could see that. But I, I don't 
see him bringing in Nico unless Nico actually wins the job. And I'm not seeing Nico win the job anymore unless Joe Milton loses it, largely because it seems like the team is totally behind Joe Milton. And the last thing you want to do is split the team in, in that way. You don't want a situation like you had in 2005 with Rick Clawson and Eric Ainge, when even though Eric Ainge was the better long-term quarterback, Rick Clawson had outperformed Ainge, was clearly the guy the team wanted <laughs> the whole time. Well, let, let me stop you for half a second, Caleb. I think there were some players that were a little bit resentful, maybe not the right word, but were they thought it was curious that Joe Milton started the 2021 season because they thought Hendon Hooker was better. And I think some of the players believe that they went with Joe Milton because Joe Milton, you had brought this up months ago, and then I asked around. Um, and it took me a while, sorry. Uh, but there were some people that – there were some people within the program that thought that Joe Milton was the starter in 2021 because he was Heupel's guy. And the other guy, Hendon Hooker, was Pruitt's guy. So that does affect a team. You're right. But also these guys know when a player is better. So if in practice they think Nico's better, I don't think you're going to lose anybody as, as far as from a chemistry standpoint, because Nico's better and if he goes out there and plays, and especially if he plays better. I, I think these players want to win. I, I think we read more into maybe they get their feelings hurt than they actually get their feelings hurt. But I don't think Nico is going to base. I, I thought it might happen in the spring. I don't think so now. I don't think Nico is going to actually prove himself to be better than Joe. I think he's going to really, really push Joe. But I think – I don't think he's going to prove himself to be better. And I'm with you. By the way, the, the, don't forget this with Joe Milton. Heupel added Joe Milton as a Michigan transfer who couldn't get on campus for spring practice in time. But he had Joe Milton patrolling the sidelines, not able to play during the spring game. And it had become very clear that Joe Milton was going to be the starter and it didn't matter what happened in spring practice or fall camp. And I thought Hinden Hooker was railroaded then. I wrote about it then. I thought it was really unfair. And I, I could see how he lost some of the team. I think Joe Milton – went about winning the team back though. I think it resonated with a lot of people that he stayed. I, I was listening to you. Was it Jacob Warren you were interviewing last week saying there wasn't a doubt in anybody's mind that Milton was going to leave. Yeah. They said they weren't even checking like their phones to see if he had entered the portal. There was a zero chance. Yes. He said, yeah. That. And Joe Milton was a leader from the bench throughout the last two years. And I think, I think what they may have thought about him then I think resonates in a different way now. Um, the same way, again, it, it, in, so I think Nico would actually have to fully outperform him, even though we think he's better. And I don't know if Nico's going to start beating him out in practice in fall camp. Maybe he will. I don't know. But I see on a much lesser level, again, I, that's why I brought up Ainge and Clawson. We all knew Ainge was going to be the better quarterback. But that year in 2005, Rick Clawson was better than Eric Ainge in that moment, just because he was not as reckless. And, I mean, Dave, you tell me in 1994 – did Peyton Manning, Brandon Stewart split some split the team at all? Maybe it did, but I'm pretty sure everybody rallied around Peyton Manning by 1995. Yes, but I will tell you in 94, it was probably 60-40. People thought that Peyton should be the guy. It was very close, which sounds bizarre, I know, in retrospect. All right, so let me ask you today's tough question. It's brought to you by Zen Sports. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Is Nico talking to the media a big something, a little something, or a nothing? And it's brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with their cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days. When you sign up with the code hooked, use hooked. That's right. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you're betting big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. All right, today's tough question. Nico talking to the media. Big something, little something, nothing. What say you? Little, little something. 
it means that there is not an open competition in 2024. That's what that means. There's no open competition. Nico is the starter in 20, after Joe Milton leaves in 2024. Well, that to me is a big something because you're t- you're telling Zach Merklin <laughs> to go get rocks. Yeah, Jake Merklinger. Yeah, they, Jake he basically Merklinger. is. He is. He is telling Jake yeah, Merklinger. That's I'm big, and that's a big something. Yes. Okay, fine. No, that's a big something. Just, no, that's I'm, a- I'm officially changing your answer to big something. <laughs> okay. No, I, I'll go big something. That's fine. Um yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, it's a big something. I think it makes, I think it makes it very clear that um, Nico is his starter after Joe Milton leaves. I think it's pretty much that. I think it's a big something either because of what you said or what you said in recruiting. And if it's recruiting, it's a little something because you're not going to get a commitment just because Nico talks to the media. But it's, I think it's a big something either because of what you just said or maybe he is pushing more than we think. And I understand this is conspiracy theorist time, but I'm just telling you, covering football for a quarter of a century, this is incredibly odd to have the freshman out there to visit with the media since every player was available. There was a time that every single player was available and you could go up and down the line and interview 1 to 99 on the depth chart. But this, this to me... Um, is it's it's a big something. I mean, he, 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 and he, he happened he, the same day that Milton's on the Maxwell list too, which is hilarious because like we're talking like Milton might be is, is a candidate for the best college football player of the year, while Nico might be pushing him for his job. <laughs> now the other thing, yes, I mean the other thing it could be is, and I know Rocky Top Tom's not going to like this because he's right; it could be a distraction. But if if he's promised to talk to the media a certain amount of times because of his NIL agreement, then I'm going to jump on board with Rocky Top Tom and say this NIL thing could screw all of college football up because you shouldn't make decisions with your football program based on an NIL agreement. Like, he, like whatever it may be, Acme Tool Supplies shouldn't be able to say, I'll sponsor Nico if he talks to the media once a week. Right. Sometimes- Hi. Well, sometimes he, he might not deserve to talk to the media. Hey, guess what? That happens in the NFL all the time. How many players are kind of forced into a starting role in the NFL because they may have gotten a contract they shouldn't have gotten? I mean, that's how the NFL works. I mean, money money's part of the deal. You don't think that you don't think Jay Gruden was under a lot of pressure to start RG3 over Kirk Cousins a few years ago in Washington? And because of all the trades Dan Steiner made and the money he gave for RG3. Whereas he still made the decision to start Kirk Cousins. I mean, coaches in the NFL have to deal with that every day. Well, these are these are still young men. These are kids that can get their feelings. Oh, they're student athletes. Okay, but what? Uh, okay, student comes first. No, it doesn't. You're, well, I know, I agree, but they're young men. I, you think Joe Milton's cool with Nico talking to the media? I, I wouldn't mean, be. I didn't get to talk to the media when I was a freshman. Yeah, well, okay, but maybe Joe Milton is cool or not cool. I don't – I think Joe Milton has – if he has any intangibles whatsoever, he handles this well and means, and doesn't lose his starting job and makes sure he keeps it. Fair point. Let's turn it into a positive. He's so confident in what he's done. He doesn't care if Nico talks to the media all day long. I mean, he doesn't care yes. if he, he goes before Josh Heupel because he's that confident in himself. That's a very good possibility. All right, so let's get to – what we kind of know about camp and that is some position battles. If you haven't had a chance to check out this column by Caleb Calhoun, you definitely need to do that because there are some big time position battles on campus and will be, and we get to that right now. We're going to go four downs on this, even though we got five downs or five position battles. So maybe it's like the Colorado, who was it game? Missouri. Colorado, Colorado Missouri. Missouri. It all it's comes down. back to Missouri's just bad for college football. Well, Tennessee tied Colorado that year, by the way. First that, game of the year. That is true. Uh, and do you remember who the running back was that had a huge, huge game? I mean, for, for Tennessee, it would, uh, I, I don't Colorado. remember for Colorado. Eric Bieniemy. Oh, 
Oh, interesting. I just I don't remember, but I've seen highlights, and Chuck Webb didn't know to go Actually, down. I think he was hurt, time. and a guy named Pritchard. But the enemy was like a Heisman candidate going into the season before he became a top offensive coach. I'd have to look that one up. You might. Colorado produced some great runners from the '90s and the early 2000s. <laughs> no doubt about it. Here we go. Four downs now. Position battles at the University of Tennessee. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, here we go. Position battles. We're going to talk defensive tackle, slot receiver, offensive line, and cornerback. So let's go ahead and uh, get it started. Cooper Mays. Uh, what down is it, sir? Coop here. First down. All right, who starts, Nico or Joe Milton the third? <laughs> Joe. That's not the one. <laughs> Caleb's looking at me like I'm a complete idiot. That's not the one. Defensive tackle. We know that Amari Thomas is going to be really good. Uh, we, we talked about this yesterday. Tyler Barron, Roman Harrison uh, had the in spots locked up for now. Uh, how about Tyson Eason? Uh, how about Omar Norman Lott? Uh, Elijah Simmons, Tyree West? Uh, there is a position battle there for the starting two positions, but there's also a position battle at defensive tackle. First down, what do you think about this group heading into preseason camp, Caleb? So three spots are locked up. The two ends, Robin Harrison and Tyler Barron, and Amari Thomas has one of the tackle spots locked up. The other tackle spot is a complete question mark. It could be Bryson Eason, could be Omar Norman Lott, could be Elijah Simmons, from what you're telling me. And Karat Garland is probably the most experienced of the crew. One of those four, I think Tyree West maybe may have one. And Tyree West was supposed to have a ton of potential, but we didn't see a lot from him last year. So one of those five it could take the other spot. And it could be any of them. My prediction is that Elijah Simmons, if he decides to be that guy, will be that guy. If, if he doesn't, I think Elijah Simmons will be the guy that comes in and you're like, man, he, he played 20 snaps or played 15 snaps and made a couple of pretty significant plays. Why is he not doing more? I think he lacks consistency at this point. What He's down- the guy you might see at the bottom of a pile when Tennessee stops somebody on fourth and an inch. There you He's go. that type of guy. Yeah. yeah, or make or make a push uh, that yeah. flushes a quarterback, doesn't get a stat, but you're like, man, he dominated that guy. Second down, Coop. Is that right? Cooper Mays here. Second down. All right. The left side of the offensive line, left guard and left tackle. What do you make of uh, the left side? I think it's John Campbell Jr. at left tackle, but I'm not so sure about left guard. Um, Yeah. I hear a lot of good things about Addison Nichols, um, but he's got to get tougher and grow up a little bit. What do you think about left guard in particular and uh, hit up left tackle as well? Yeah, I, I think John Campbell Jr. probably has left tackle locked up. I'm su- I'm surprised they didn't keep J.J. Crawford over at left tackle when they moved Gerald Mincy to the right side because of Crawford's experience and how respected he is in the locker room. And that really leads me to believe that maybe John Campbell Jr. is that good. And also maybe they don't trust Gerald Mincy to anchor a side by himself. That's what that really tells me. That So, so on the left side – I think it's John Campbell Jr. And I don't know who the other tackle would be. I, I I mean, Tennessee's a little thin, honestly, at that spot. And so it'd have to be somebody we aren't expecting. Um, at left guard, I would have said Addison Nichols, but I think they're really intent on having him be the heir apparent to Cooper Mays because they just don't have a backup center right now and they desperately need one. And so I think they're going to spend a lot of time with him there. Yep. Fair point. Uh, third down is now. Tennessee center Cooper Mays. Whoa, 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 whoa. Second down. Oh, that's third, Coop. Tennessee center Cooper Mays. Third down. Cornerback. That is uh, Caleb's favorite position. He has been high on Tennessee's cornerback since we began. Not really. Um, but your thoughts on cornerback? What does uh, Tennessee roll out there to begin the fall? And what do you think that Tennessee ends up with when they open the season against Virginia? So this is the funny thing. Cornerback actually didn't lose anybody. And I still have this as a huge position battle because everybody was so bad at it last year. And I think Tennessee rolls out with 
Warren Burrell at the number two spot, and Jordan Matthews takes the number one spot. And I think, and then I think Danico Slaughter will hold will hold down the nickel spot. And Does that not scare you that a true freshman could take over a corner? No, I, I mean I know what Fred White has said, but I, I've Bryce Thompson was a freshman All American at corner a few years ago, and I think corner is next to running back. You can plug in a freshman at cornerback, and they can be good. All right, here we go. Fourth down, Coop. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. All right, slot receiver. This is probably the most interesting to see if it's uh, Squirrel White or Dante Thornton or a combination of both. I think Tennessee could – I think Tennessee very well could rotate those guys much like they rotated Princeton Fant and Jacob Warren uh, last season. I think they could rotate their slot receivers. That's highly possible. It's also possible that Thornton becomes a utility receiver, kind of like Jay Judy Lally finding off at cornerback, where they pluck Thornton in wherever there's an injury. Or wherever, like, you know, Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton, and Squirrel White, one of them sits out a drive and Thornton just replaces one of them because Thornton is the one that can play white out or slot. So they could have like a four drive rotation at that point, not just in every other rotation. Okay, let me ask you of the of this group, which one should Tennessee fans be most excited about if it's locked up and absolutely done two weeks in the camp? Somebody's won the job, done. Which position? I mean, that would be slot receiver, wouldn't it? At that point, if someone's locked it up. I was going to say corner because I think they can only be so bad at slot. I think they'll at least be very good. So you're saying if someone locks up the corner spot, that means somebody was really good. Exactly. It's, yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay, that makes sense. Because if they don't have a starter with, with a week leading up to the game, then that means they're desperate to find somebody. Right. That means nobody stepped up. And then you're in a type of position because you're going to have to pick. I mean, guys, I know it's August 1, but you're going to have to pick somebody and a starting 11 on both sides here in about three weeks. So, I mean, there's not a lot of because you've got to have a game week preparation with your starters in. So, I mean, there's not nearly as much time as uh, we may think. So, uh, here we go. Coming up on the program, we've got even more. How about, man, it just seems like people believe that there is one team that's going to be an incredible underdog that might very well beat Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. I don't see it, but we'll discuss the possibilities because some national columnists believe that could be the case back in two minutes he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker off the hook sports to own the more that owns every job then get the vasty lawn and garden in cleveland get you a toro i'm david vasty here to talk to you about toro with a toro zero turn you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster at Bassies, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we wanna be your jeweler. 
Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut, and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is there nothing you people can't do? Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. There are a lot of opponents that we just naturally look at Tennessee's football schedule and we think Tennessee will beat or at least should beat. I can throw out a couple. Uh, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. I'm not even talking about the Floridas of the world. You know, Florida is at least going to be a challenge. It's, it's on the road. And I'm certainly not talking about the Georgias and Alabamas of the world because they'll be favorites. But as far as the underdogs on uh, Tennessee's football schedule, take a look at them for a second. Because one school in particular is receiving a, a whole lot of pub in terms of a team that could be an in vogue upset. And I'm talking about an happy state that goes to Michigan and wins, that, that type of team. And I think one would probably be Virginia, obviously, even though that's not a uh, home game. It's a neutral site. Then you have Austin P. I don't think they're actually going to beat uh, Tennessee. And then you got a game in September that we're going to get to. But when you continue to look at the, the teams that could beat Tennessee that will be underdogs, South Carolina, I think Tennessee is going to play one of those revenge games and have a revenge week at practice, which is what really matters. Texas A&M, Tennessee will probably be favored, but I think Texas A&M puts some things together this year, so that's not a gimme. Kentucky, I think, has a bounce-back game, a bounce-back season. UConn, Tennessee's going to beat UConn. Missouri, not really concerned about that game, at least I don't think but the one that's gotten an awful lot of pub recently is UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio. And Chris Lowe of ESPN, who was nice enough to join us at SEC Media Days, wrote about this. And then you also have on three who said that's a potential upset in the making. Caleb, what do you make of that? Is that fair? This was a very good UTSA team last year, and they come to Neyland Stadium. I would argue this is the exact kind of non-conference opponent that you don't want to play. You either want to play one with a big name, like say a Notre Dame, or Tennessee's played other teams that were big names like Oregon or something like that, um, because you get the pub. So even if you lose, it doesn't ding you in the, the minds of most of the voters. And, and the college football playoff committee can say what they want to, but they're not going to watch all of UTSA's games. And if Tennessee were to lose to UTSA, then that would be a major ding to their college football playoff possibilities. But Caleb, let me ask you, um, what do you think of UTSA's chances of beating Tennessee in Neyland Stadium? On the surface, you wouldn't think so, but this is a pretty good football team. Yes, they. I wouldn't put them high, but it could be a hangover game because it's right after Florida. And this is the best group of five team in football this year, guys. Make no mistake. UTSA is the team that is probably going to go to the New Year New Year Six because the top group of five team gets that dub. They have a it's weird. They don't have their head coach is Jeff Trailer, who coached at the high school level and was a position coach and special team coach, almost like a Shane Beamer type, if you look at his resume before he took the job at UTSA in 2020. But he has had great offensive coaching he's made the right offensive hires the whole time and that's a that's a really really big deal and I think that has a lot to do with what's happening right now at UTSA they've got Matt Maddox an offensive coordinator and I believe Will Stein was there last year but Will Stein is now at Oregon but they've coached under a lot of different offensive systems and they got a quarterback in Frank Harris who is 
dangerous. And look, we, we know this from Tennessee last year. They can struggle against really good quarterbacks. I mean, and, and, and this is a very, very dangerous one where if they're having a hangover, I mean, Dave, if they're having, we talk about with the South Carolina game, it was a long, it was probably a bad week of practice. Uh, all day they're watching college football games, so they're just not that up for the game when they kick off Saturday night, and they get blown out. Florida could have the same issue for them. So I, I, I got to be honest. I'm sorry, Texas San Antonio could have the same issue for them because they play Florida the week before. Be riding high for the Florida win. UTSA comes to town. I mean, don't overlook this game. I. I don't think Tennessee's going to overlook it. I also wonder this. At what point do you get to a roster status in which you're not overlooking teams, but even if you do, you're so good you survive it? Is Tennessee close to that? Just like Alabama and Georgia. Alabama and Georgia, Georgia specifically in the past couple of years, They've come out and played flat games, but they're that much better, so they end up winning it in the second half because they come at you with depth and they come at you with fresh players. And at the end of the day, they're just better. Maybe you made a trick play or something in the first half to keep it close, but at the end of the day, they're just better. So how close is Tennessee to that, or are they? I think they're almost there. I think the one – the one thing that works in Tennessee's favor, and this is actually a big deal, one of the reasons they don't come out flat that much, I, I tried to pick a lot of games last year where I was like, they'll come out flat, they'll struggle, and then they would score in the first two drives. Heupel makes a really he, – he makes it a point to score early. That's like the biggest focus of Heupel's game plan is he wants to score as early and as quickly as possible. And I think when you do that, it, it comes – it's – I think Tennessee can overcome playing flat a lot of times because of that specific factor, that Josh Heibel wants to score as quickly as he can. You're not going to see ball control ever when you're playing flat. No, I think you're right. And I don't think you're going to allow other teams to get that close in which you should be concerned. And I I think that Nick Saban, his big failing, in my opinion, failing shortcomings early in his uh, coaching staff, was, Caleb, I thought he took his foot off the gas in the second half. You're never going to have that issue with Josh Ivey. No, not at all. You're never going to have that issue. And, I mean, he wants to pour it on. And, you know, when you do it from an offensive perspective, I think you're more likely to not be flat. You know, if you're a defensive-oriented team, I think think you're more in danger of coming out flat if you're a defensive-minded team. And, you know, if you play hard-nosed, tough football, because that is a little more about playing excited playing excited and getting up. If you're an offensive team and the fun that comes with scoring, you're going to be willing to score early and often to try to put the game away, even if it's a team you're not really excited to play. This isn't mid-90s Tennessee, as you remember. I mean, how many times? They, they either struggle with Kentucky or Vanderbilt every every year. It seemed like one of those teams put, put up a fight against them. But should you be more concerned if you're a Tennessee fan with UTSA or – um? over Kentucky or South Carolina or some of the other teams that would be considered underdogs, where would you rank them? I'd rank them below Kentucky and Missouri. And I say because those are two road games for Tennessee in the SEC, and they come at unique times. Kentucky off a bye, Missouri. I I, I, I got to go back and look at the schedule. But it's at a unique time in the schedule where those are a little more dangerous and Texas, A&M, Texas San Antonio, excuse me, coming to Knoxville is not going to be as big of a deal. I got I, I to be honest with you, Dave. I got UTSA tougher than South Carolina or Texas A&M. Yes, tougher than South Carolina or Texas A&M. Really? What about Book Kentucky? It. What about Kentucky? No, not Kentucky, not Kentucky or Missouri because those are road games. And they're at unique points. I think Tennessee, you brought up the week UTSA of UTSA is tougher at home than Missouri on the road. No, no, they're not. I don't think they are. I think Missouri on the road is more, is more dangerous than you do this year. I, I'm a little higher on Missouri on the road than you are. Just because I think that they played a lot of games close last year. They were a bad call away from beating Georgia last year. And so, I mean, again, the week of South Carolina, Tennessee. That wasn't Georgia, Georgia. I mean, they played a lot of games flat last year. Yes, but if, okay, yes, they played a lot of games flat and still won by, in in dominating fashion. If, If Missouri actually put up a fight against them. And, I mean, 
and they Missouri should have been ten and three last year. They were like four flute plays away from ten and three. And would I take a now again if Missouri's coming to Knoxville, it's a little bit different or at a different point of the schedule. I got Missouri and Kentucky as tougher games, put it this way, than Texas A&M or South Carolina. I think Tennessee blows out Texas A&M and South Carolina. And I think they have an easier time with Texas A&M than South Carolina. And I think a big reason they're going to have an easier time with Texas A&M, I think they're going to take it personal. With all the respect, Texas A&M might be getting the week leading up to that game. and Because there's a lot of hype behind Texas A&M this year that I don't think is justified because I think the wheels are going to come off. So the scariest underdog is? Kentucky. Kentucky's the scariest underdog for Tennessee this year. UTSA, UTSA where? Third. Unless you consider Florida an underdog. I don't. I don't consider Florida an underdog. No, nah, I mean, consider on the road at Florida, given that history, I would consider Florida uh, a, a coin flip. So, uh, I mean, I think Tennessee is going to be favored in that game, but they're only going to be favored, what, three or four points? Yeah, probably something like that. I mean, you're going to move the line because it's in Gainesville, and you're going to move the line because of Tennessee's history with Florida. And – Vegas will have a better idea because I typically Vegas doesn't overreact to a game the week before. I think they're really going to react to what Florida does against Utah. I think that's going to, that's going to be one time where Vegas actually reacts. So more conference realignment reports are Arizona plans to leave the Pac-12 this week, <laughs> like in a couple of years. This week, let's just get out of there. All right. So, at what point, if any, does the SEC say? Because there's going to be a super conference, and that super conference is going to have leverage in the playoffs. At what point does the SEC say, we'll take an Oregon, we'll take an Arizona, we'll take a Washington, and we'll take the first step to become the mega super conference? I ask you that question, and please keep this backdrop in mind. Texas and Texas A&M aren't really that close to the SEC. That's not the South, and I think you would agree with that being from Memphis. That's... You know, Mid-South, something else. The South, it, when I think of the Southeast, is is a different area. I'm not even sure Florida's the my, South. My Southeast is, it's got to be east of the Mississippi. It's got to be, like, like Baton Rouge is barely okay. Southeast because it's on that side of the Mississippi River. But I, I, I consider half of Louisiana Southwest, too. Okay. So at what point do you take uh, a, a, a Pac-12 school in in order to be the first to create that mega conference. I don't think the SEC has to do that. They're not like the Big Ten, and I don't think they will because there are so many people, I mean, so many teams they can add in their region. I mean, Dave, if you're the SEC, would you rather add West Virginia, which is already near Kentucky, or would you rather add Oregon? You'd much rather add West Virginia, even though it's not the same TV market size, because the travel expenses are low, and you have a gigantic brand in West Virginia that could join you. Well, how gigantic of a brand are you if you get Oregon, Washington, in particular Oregon and Washington? I don't think those are – I think Oregon is a gigantic brand, but I think – I do think travel expenses are relevant to a certain degree, and I think Florida State and Clemson are better brands. And if you're looking for new TV markets, Virginia Tech and one of the Virginia schools and one of the North Carolina schools – are both in larger TV markets overall, you you would get into more homes than if you added Oregon. And you would reduce your travel expenses. And so I think they're still focused on seeing if they can raid the ACC. Because, by the way, Florida State's Board of Regents are meeting this week too. And what we talked about a month ago, those grant of right agreements by the ACC don't seem that ironclad. And so, okay, so would the SEC be better off going with the uh, what was the word that Greg Sankey used a couple of years ago? Uh, congruent states was that the word he used? The, the states, congruency. That, yeah, congruency. Um, would the SEC be better off getting semi big schools like let's say NC State? You wouldn't say NC State's a power, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say. NCC's but North power. Carolina would be a great get. Would Tennessee or would the SEC be better off getting NC State, North Carolina, or Washington and Oregon? Just NC State and North Carolina, not like North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'm giving you two big names from a dying conference with travel concerns, and I'm giving you one and a half big names from that would be congruent. 
I think they would add North Carolina and NC State. I think Not I, what I they would, would do, but what would be better? You're the commissioner. Be you're commissioner Caleb. I'd rather add North Carolina and NC State. The congruency in the TV market of North Carolina is worth Washington and Oregon, and it's a growing TV market. They add there. I think there is an appetite for college football in the North Carolina market that's not there because they're not in good games, particularly NC State. What we also aren't looking at, Dave, and this is a big factor, we're looking at something on the brand it is now, but maybe if they're in a new conference, their brand could be better. Like NC State, for instance, maybe if they were in the SEC, they would have a stronger brand because they would have more meaningful games. And the same with Virginia Tech. So we shouldn't just look at their brand right now. What's the potential of their brand if they join a new conference? Heck, the South Carolina brand. That was a lame football brand in 1992. It's a pretty good brand now that they're in the SEC. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's Washington, at least. I don't know that it's Oregon because of the Nike money, but South Carolina, Washington, comparable yeah. as far as a football front brand, wouldn't you say? And they were a joke when they entered the SEC. Yeah, they were an absolute joke. It wasn't like when Arkansas entered, which did have a strong football brand historically. But South Carolina didn't have much at all. So I think, look, I think the SEC's move, the, there's four teams that the SEC should prioritize right now. Florida State, Clemson, one of the Virginia schools, and one of the North Carolina schools. And unlike the Big Ten, the SEC can survive. I think the two priority schools for North Carolina and Virginia are North Carolina and Virginia. But unlike the Big Ten, the SEC can settle for NC State and Virginia Tech because those aren't AAU schools. And so either one is fine. Rocky Top Tom, and I put it up on the board, says, uh, hell, we need to focus on cutting dead weight at this point, get rid of Vanderbilt, Missouri for starters. It's, it surprises me a little bit, to be real honest with you, Rocky Top Tom, that you would say that because I think you're more along the lines of not expanding. But I'm all for that. Now, Caleb, you can explain to me why Vanderbilt's not going to get cut. And I know, you know they're one of the original members, and you really can't do it. And they bring academic integrity. But I'm telling you guys, 10 years from now, the SEC, if there's a mega conference, and it's the SEC or it's the SEC Big Ten, it's the big SEC, whatever, you, if they merge together or they're AL or NL, like baseball, there is no reason for Missouri and Vanderbilt to be in those conferences. I mean, no reason. If you're taking the top 40 or 38 or, pardon me, 36, there's no reason for Missouri and Vanderbilt to be in those conferences. What I think they're going to do is I think it'll be like, because it'll be SEC and whatever's left of the Big 12 since the Big 12 is adding the Pac-12 and ACC. And by the way, ACC and Pac-12 might combine to try to stay afloat. What they're going to do, though, there's going to be three big conferences. They're going to form like one super conference. and They're going to treat it. Here's my prediction. They're going to treat it like soccer. We've got two separate tiers. So like a Vanderbilt and Missouri would probably be in the lower tier. And if you want to be in the top tier, you have to play your way in. Like the bottom three teams every year fall out. You know how Premier League works, right? Yes. The, yeah, the bottom three teams fall out to the lower league. And the top three teams of that lower league move into the other league. I think that's how they'll probably do it. Oh, gosh, that would be crazy. Because then you're not going to care about your football team at all when they're not in the upper league. No, you will because you want to get one of the top three spots so you can get into the upper league the next year. They'd make it epic because then those bottom three games, the worst three teams in the upper leagues, their last few games matter a lot. Yeah, I don't like the relegation idea, but I wonder if Tennessee fans, I don't know how many uh, fat cats uh, we got on, on the board that go to all the away games because you got extra money to spend, but would you rather go to Oregon and Washington – or Washington once a year, once every two or three years, or would you rather go to Tallahassee or Miami? I mean, I don't know about you, but you're spending about the same amount of money to get to Miami. I'd rather go to Miami in the fall, go get them, as opposed to go get a Washington. I'm going to go back to something that Travis said, focus on the ACC first. Eventually, I think you get to the point where you look at a Washington and Oregon if you want to build this mega conference, but first, he's absolutely right, Travis, is get your North Carolina, get your Miami, get your Florida State, get your Clemson, get who you want that's close get by. one of the Virginia schools. One of the Virginia schools. And then you have built a super conference without going outside of the general location, the general geography. I still think it's funny that we talk about Texas schools being in the South. But anyway, um, and, and then get rid of, 
and go get those schools. And then you can go get your mega conference schools that would be like Oregon and Washington. Thoughts? I mean, I'm with you, but I don't think the SEC has any interest in Miami. I'm going to be honest. They they, they want Florida State, no interest in Miami. But Dave, who who should be the eighth school? Remember, if if the ACC gets one more school, they can kill the conference and vote out the grant of rights. And what I told you earlier is they've already got Florida State, Miami, Clemson, NC State, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech, those seven. Who would be the eighth school if you were the eight? If you were one of the other ACC schools, who has them? Who could actually gain something by killing the ACC? Travis says women in bikini versus hippies throwing poop out of trees. Hmm. I was out there for that uh, cow game when there were uh, hippies up in trees and uh, they, they were up there and they were naked. And you don't want to be a lo- below a man naked. Um, because you look up and it's not a good view. And I told my wife, don't look up. Just don't look up. She said, why? Just don't do it. Don't look up at this very moment. And yes, women in bikinis beats hippies throwing poop out of trees. There is uh, no question about it. Uh, Yes, but you can actually smoke weed in Oregon and Washington without going to prison, unlike most of the SEC schools and states. (laughs) uh, You can. Saw a weird documentary how a lot of the pot growers in California uh, are actually still losing money. I, I don't know how that's the case, that the black market is still undermining them. They're probably overcharging. Yeah, and the black was, market's probably realizing we can just sell it for cheaper. Same reason was, people sell loose cigarettes in New York. They sell what cigarettes in New York? L- loose cigarettes. Like cigarettes. Loose cigarette. Oh, it's basically selling cigarettes that were not sold from a store. It's like illegally selling cigarettes independently. So you're just rolling up tobacco? Who's sitting around rolling up tobacco? No, they buy them. They buy them from like another state and then they bring them into New York and then they sell them. Oh, so this is like a mob thing. It's not even a mob like thing. Just good, your average like common good criminal. Fellas, good fellas, they sold cigarettes off the back of the truck and they'd give them to the police officers so they wouldn't arrest them. Caleb, have you been rolling tobacco cigarettes and selling them in New York City? No, I have not been rolling tobacco cigarettes and sell them, selling them in New York City. But it's that's that's probably they're just so expensive in Cali that the black market is still strong. But back to the point, getting to where we are. (laughs) Caleb was more back to the point. Caleb was more of a bonga. Top fullbacks and tight ends in two minutes. The greatest. Seasons in fullbacks and tight ends history. It's on off the hooksports.com. Two minutes back with you. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK vision correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. 
Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. So Caleb's idea of selling cigarettes in New York City that he procures from other states is actually a thing. Rocky Top Tom says that he used to make a lot of money in college when he'd sell his cousin's friends in New York city cigarettes. He bought in Virginia. So that's a thing. We yeah. need to have uh, an, an official OTH cigarette. <laughs> Cause nothing's oh taking off like cigarettes nowadays. Cigarettes are all the rave. I think cigarettes really start taking off from this point forward. They seem like they're getting more popular by the day. Yeah. They're the new thing. Hey, you know, when you speak of like illicit things, though, I always if, speak of illicit things. If anybody ever, you know, it's funny that Tennessee fans love Rocky Top so much. That song's literally about killing police officers. Did not know that. All right. Uh, is it one? The second verse is about federal officials trying to bust up a moonshine. Once two strangers climbed old Rocky Top, looking for a moonshine still. Strangers ain't come down from Rocky Top. Reckon they never will. Well, I know that, but I never thought that was like ATF agents. That's about ATF agents trying to bust up a moonshine. I always thought that. I always thought that line was about they heard that there was moon. Like Dave and Caleb heard there was moonshine up there, and boy, we love us some moonshine. And then no. we went up there. No, no, they. They were killed. By the way, the same people that sing that, and then they get mad at rappers talking about killing people for trying to bust up crack houses. I'm like, well, that's the same thing as a federal agent trying to bust up a moonshine still. So, you know. I <laughs> think those are just dudes looking for I'm I'm gonna stick with that. Those are just dudes looking no, for it, it it it's it's a it's a it's a known thing. Yeah, this is this is old school country music. Old school country music was before the urban cowboy scene in the 80s was all outlaws and violent. It was the original the original content of gangster rap. What's country music? Travis says they should have minded their phone business. <laughs> okay. And Tennessee Junior's all about the OTH cigarettes that are coming down the pike. Just lit up. Quitters never win. Wish I could quit. You can do it, Tennessee Junior, if you want to. But if we do, if, if we do come out with OTH cigarettes and you continue to smoke, please purchase those in our merch store that's coming very soon. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. I remind you that it's very legal to get Tennessee Cider from Tennessee Cider Company. Go to TNCiderCompany.com. You can order online. Use the promo code HAT. Use the promo code HAT and you'll get free swag. And you can order the best cider in just about anywhere in the United States of America. So it is Pretty darn awesome. We love TNCiderCompany.com, Tennessee Cider Company. Check them out. See, here's what Rocky Tom says. Dave, people in the mountains will shoot you just as soon as look at you. Agreed. So I think that's why the people got shot. It's not necessarily. Um, it's not no, necessarily. they no. It's it's very very clear they were trying to bust up a Look at Dave leaving all the wholesome stuff. You probably. You probably think Born in the USA is a patriotic song, don't you? That is not a patriotic song. That is the most misunderstood song that perhaps has ever been written. It really it's is. all about the problems with the United States of America, but instead it is presented in a much, much different way. All right, we've been doing this series as we lead into camp, and we'll have full camp coverage as the Vols meet with the media today. But best seasons by a Tennessee fullback or tight end. It's tough to find the tight ends, but because before Jason Witten, Tennessee had an incredibly bad history of uh, tight ends. So let's start with a guy that I thought was a very good player and probably could have played tailback at a lot of schools. Troy Fleming in 2003, uh, a very good fullback and a guy that, again, could have played tailback at a number of SEC schools. Yes, and as a matter of fact, he committed as a tailback. I don't think he wanted to play fullback. And he willingly accepted he the role. I can tell you 100% he did not. Yeah, and I, I, I know he accepted the role. Troy Fleming was probably the best. Tennessee's go-to play 
in the early 2000s in the rainy. And it worked. Dave, you know this. I feel like this had a 100% success rate. Third and two, fourth and one, play action, throw it to the fullback in the flat. Works every single time, I felt like. And Troy Fleming was the master of executing that play. In 2003, he had over 300 yards from scrimmage. Uh, two touchdowns was a very, very valuable centerpiece for Clawson, who did not have a lot of receivers to throw to that year. Yep. Okay. Ken DeLong, 1968. Uh, Doug Dickey was the first to really use the tight end in the passing game. Um, and Doug Dickey was innovative in so many ways. I don't think he gets enough credit. You had Austin Denny in 1966 and a new era of fashionable T formation. And then you had a guy that I really like, uh, Chris Brown. I've been a big fan of his for a long time just as a person. Not uh, the singer. Not the singer. Chris Brown in 2007. Yes, Chris Brown was, I felt, an undersized tight end. And he was really thrust into the role in 2007 when Brad Cottom went down, which was really, I mean, if Brad Cottom had not gone down, we're talking one of the best tight ends, too, in Tennessee history. I mean, that guy was an incredible tight end. But Chris Brown steps in, does a very good job, particularly when Eric Gange, again, doesn't have a lot of receivers to throw to and finishes the year with 41 catches, 282 yards, but the Catches six touchdowns. I mean, he was always reliable in the red zone. Bill Anderson, 1956. Bill Anderson was, was... And he was, sorry. of course, I just want to throw in there, he was the longtime color commentator for uh, Tennessee along with John Ward. And the funniest thing that ever happened is when you had John Ward ready, it was his last season he had announced that, and he's ready to make his national championship call. And he said, the national championship is clad in... Bill Anderson goes, Big Orange! <laughs> so he stepped on his line for the national championship. But anyway, oh, gosh. Bill Anderson was great. Yes, he was. And for th- for those who question why I combine fullbacks and tight ends together, it's because the tight end today is basically the fullback until about 1995. You agree with that, right, Dave? A primary blocker that plays a new role. Bill Anderson actually played both. He was the fullback at Tennessee. And then he was the tight end, a Pro Bowl tight end in the NFL the first, Buddy Cruz was a receiver around this time and listed as an end, but I would consider him the first wide receiver in Tennessee history. And Anderson had 15 carries for 172 yards and another 10 catches for 216 yards, three total touchdowns. Everybody talks about Johnny Majors that year, but Bill Anderson was a big threat on the 56 SEC title team. Number five, Sean Bryson. I could argue he should be even higher because he may be the best combination of a blocker and a runner and a pass catcher I've ever seen play at Tennessee. Yes, Sean Bryson was. We talked about best athletes for Tennessee. We got. I, I don't know how we forgot Sean Bryson last week. I mean, I feel like Sean Bryson is the number one guy you don't want to fight. Dude was strong and fast. He's thick. Oh yeah, and honestly. You're right. He looked more like a running back, but he blocked like a true fullback. And he he could take out two guys as a blocker a lot of times. I remember him paving a lot of – creating a lot of holes, particularly for Travis Henry after Jamal Lewis went down. And he's got two key touchdowns in 98, the run against Florida, and he caught the first touchdown in the national title game against Florida State. There you go. Princeton Fant just last year. And, and really, he's the one on this list that is – tight end and is fullback he came in when Tennessee didn't have a fullback in their short yardage situations and he was able uh, to be a more than adequate blocker um, a very versatile player I I still think he finds a place in the NFL because he'll be able to play special teams with his athletic ability Um, and uh, yeah fantastic season last year then then we get to some pretty interesting ones now, I, I would have Sean Bryson number one because of his blocking ability, but you be, your stats back up every bit of the argument to have Luke Stalker number three, Jason Witten number two, and then I want to save the surprise for number one. But uh, I still, and I've told this story before, interviewed Jason Witten when he got moved from defensive end to tight end. I said, you realize that no Tennessee tight end has ever caught more than 24 passes in a season. You can double check my uh, history on that and he goes i know and i said is it going to be hard to be a part of the offense he goes probably and he was so incredibly frustrated that i think well i know he went home and called uh, his family about possibly transferring that very day and this is like the second week of preseason camp he was a true freshman as it turns out he had a hall of fame career and much like bryson 
he was like very good at everything. Maybe not excellent at ev- everything. Like maybe not a Travis Kelsey at catching balls, but he, he was very good at finding open spaces. He was a good blocker. Wasn't a great blocker, but he was good in everything. And that to me, if you can get that out of a tight end, you may get a Travis Kelsey. Okay. And the way they throw the ball around nowadays, but if you can get a guy that's good at everything at tight end or fullback, those are the guys that you can win championships with. Well, you couldn't with Jason because they had absolutely terrible coaching. But um, those are the type of guys that I want that that are good at everything at the fullback and tight end positions. Yes, and Jason Witten, to me, I put this 2002 season up there. But that 2002 season, to me, is Alvin Kamara's 2016 season. I Ooh, think Philip Fulmer criminally underused Jason Witten in 2002. You had all the injuries. Dante Stallworth and Kelly Washington are gone. Your go-to receiver is Leonard Scott at one point. I mean, they should have just been throwing to Jason Witten every play. I mean, I think he was he he's one of the most criminally underused players in Tennessee football history, and it still was one of the best seasons. Yeah, and I don't think they knew how to use him. Um, they tried to line him up outside. I just think it was they, – they hadn't relied much on the tight end at that point, and I don't think they were sure how to use him. And he had Michael Rivera in 2012 at number one. That name might surprise some people that he was number one on this list. Why? The numbers just back it up. Again, Tyler Bray, Cordero Patterson, Justin Hunter, Michael Rivera. That 2012 offense was not the problem for Derek Gulley's last year. It was the historically bad defense with Sal Sinceri. But Michael Rivera, I mean, guy did catch 562 yards and five touchdowns, became an NFL draft pick. I mean, is he the best tight end on this list? No. Is the 2012 season the best season a Tennessee football tight end or fullback has ever had? Yeah. And he was a huge threat consistently for Tennessee that year. Fair enough. All right. Tomorrow on the program, we'll talk about Tennessee's big day as they meet with the media. We'll also have a follow-up show later today to get uh, give our thoughts on Josh Heupel and Tennessee's coaches meeting with the media Travis, don't say that about Bill Anderson. Be sure and click the like and subscribe button. And if you haven't set your notifications on, do so. We greatly appreciate that. Have a fantastic day, night, evening, morning, whenever you're watching this. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.